Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. all of us to be here one more time in this house. And so I pray, Lord, that your spirit, your power, that your presence, God, will just somehow touch our minds this evening and help us to tap into what you would speak into our heart and our lives here this evening. We carefully, cautiously give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn your attention, if you will, this evening to the book of Philippians Uh, chapter 1, the book of Philippians chapter 1, and you can just remain seated because we're just going to kind of uh, take a journey through a few of these verses here. And um, from this passage, I want to speak about an aspect of Christian living that I want to personally embrace. I've taught on this many, many times through the years, and if the Lord will give me breath, I'm going to continue to teach on it because I think it is uh, it is something, especially in the day that we live in, that we need to get our heart and our minds around. I want to talk about the joy of the Lord tonight, the joy of the Lord. Amen. The word joy or or a derivative of the word joy is found some 197 times in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I'm confident that... Um, most, if not all, understand the difference between joy and happiness. And so I'm not talking about happiness because happiness can be very shallow and very evasive. Uh, I've been happy in one moment and in the same hour I've been sad. And uh, a few weeks ago, as you know, uh, my wife and I were called on, on a few Saturdays ago to attend the funeral of a very uh, untimely death. And so we were with a family as that was even a part of my own personal family. We're trying to console them and hold their hands and, and, uh, and pray that God would just give them strength for that particular part of their lives. No words that you could say, not a song you can sing, a sermon you can put together that's going to collectively fix that situation. And then just three hours later, we were involved in a wedding on my wife's side of the family where we're, where we are we're caught rejoicing with a family and a young couple that's just starting a brand new uh, chapter in their lives. And so uh, happiness can be evasive. You can get your hands on it and lose it in just a matter of uh, seconds sometimes. Uh, we have a lot of preconceived ideas about the things that would make us happy. I would venture to say in this adult congregation tonight that there have not been at, uh, one of us, probably not even any exception, In this room that hasn't at some point to some degree sat down and just thought about what it would be to be you to make your list if your proverbial ship were to come in, so to speak. If I could just get this, I would be happy if we could obtain that. And uh, we've all thought about those things that would that would bring what we feel like maybe totality or completion to us. Some people think that uh, that true happiness will come by just way of good looks. 
Not just women, (laughs) but men as well. Maybe that would explain why in 2011 in the U.S. alone, $11.4 billion were spent on cosmetic surgery. And so just somebody thinking, if I could just tweak this, twist that, lift that, amen, everything would just be all right. But just not quite how it works. It's a little more complicated than that. A little more complicated than that. I mean, that is the end result of somebody trying to find happiness in a perfect image. If we could just project this, if we could just do this, then uh, then maybe everything would be all right. Uh, we stand in lines. It's 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 hard to escape the subtle messages, or I would say less than subtle messages that are that are sent our way on a daily basis. You can't stand in line at any convenience store, any grocery store, and not just be bombarded by all the magazine covers there of of the perfect woman or the perfect man. And uh, that that's sad because most of those images are not even true. They're not even real. They have been uh, they've been altered on computer or they've been they've been uh, uh, airbrushed or something. Uh, they've been enhanced to some degree. Solomon said, "Hell and destruction are never full, and the eyes of man are never satisfied." Think about that. Hell and destruction are never full. Hell will never say that's enough. That's it. Destruction will never say, "Hey, we've reached our quota." And the eyes of of man are never satisfied. Solomon was the writer of Proverbs 27. Solomon had it all. I would say that put him in a position to speak as an authority on this subject. Not only was he well known for his wisdom, but he was also known for his enormous wealth. However, when you consider his words in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 8, here's what Solomon said here. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So with that established, I can assure you that we have something far more valuable than just trying to put our hands on happiness before us. We have to find the the source of true joy, that joy of the Lord that Nehemiah writes about that is our strength. Putting our hands on something that can hold us in uncertain times. With Paul's help, I think we can do just that. And that's why I want to direct our attention to Philippians. Because that seems to be the theme somewhat of the book of Philippians. And so for us to really appreciate what is written here, I think before I read one word out of the book of Philippians, I want to make sure that we consider and understand the backdrop or the background of this letter. This letter came to the Philippian church while Paul was in prison in Rome. He wrote this epistle to the church. And so what we are reading here are not just theories of a man that's sitting in an ivory tower. But we're talking about the heartbeat of a man who is at the bottom, so to speak, as we would think. It is written from the vantage point of great distress and difficulty. And yet he writes about the joy of the Lord. He writes about how that God can hold us and God can keep us. Despite his incarceration, Paul writes a letter that really resonates with joy. And you can pick up on that. You can, uh, you can pick up when some, you can pick up the spirit in which something is rendered. I believe with all my heart. I believe that you can, uh, I've read, I've read books before, many, many books before that 
that you can just feel the passion of the author as you're reading it. I mean, they're, uh, depending on the skill of the author, but you can feel the passion, the, the great highs or the great lows or the burdens or whatever it may be. And so I think that's what we discover here in this particular book. Paul's locked away with a certainly, uh, I think it's safe to say that Paul is locked away with an uncertain future. And uh, he's chained to a Roman guard day and night. He doesn't know if he's going to be set free or if he's going to be executed. Because the church at this time, as I mentioned last Wednesday night, was uh, was under the heavy hand of Nero. And they were Christians were being not only just put to death, but they were being tortured and executed on every side. Yet, in this unorthodox setting, Paul begins to rejoice and comfort others around them. Now, I think that's incredible. I really think that's incredible. And what we have to understand is that this is not a nursery rhyme before us. But this is a real man writing to a real church. A real man writing to real people that is encouraging them and strengthening them. I, I marvel many times at, uh, I marvel many times just at, at, at the journey of life. I think about sometimes the, the very people that have been so mildly used. I'm just going to kind of narrow this down for one illustration here, or for the sake of illustration here to, to people who may have encouraged us in ministry. Maybe you ladies have gone to a ladies conference and there was uh, someone there that spoke and, and the Lord just used them to encourage you, to direct, to strengthen you. Our men, we have just concluded a tremendous men's conference. Amen. I, I mean, a men's conference that has left a very unique footprint in the life of all of those who were able to attend any or all of it. And so here are our our ministers that have been used by God. And sometimes if we're not careful from from the vantage point of where we sit, looking at the vantage point of where they stand, we can assume that they have no issues or no problems. It can, it can appear that they're way up here and they have it all together. I'm not trying to burst your balloon, but I'm just saying in the real world, we can assume that they're way up here and that they're in this protective shell and that nothing could ever interrupt their lives. But many times, while they are holding that microphone and ministering to us, they themselves may be bleeding on the inside from their own peril and problems. Amen. I remember a unique opportunity that uh, that that came our way just a few years ago as uh, Sister Priscilla Magruder was a guest speaker and her husband had joined her in that conference. And so uh, my wife was her host hostess that year and and when she found out that Brother Magruder was with her, she called and asked if I could come down a couple of days so that I could spend some time with him, that he wouldn't have to be alone. And so as we had an opportunity in, in those few days to be one-on-one with people that have ministered to others and helped others, not only through song, but through the Word and built a tremendous church in Kennett, Missouri and preached and sang all over the world, literally, as they began to share some of their uh, their the little corners and snippets of their life is just remarkable. As a matter of fact, they begin to share with us, and not us exclusively, as though they've not shared this with others, but as they begin to share with us, some of the songs that have ministered to many people were written out of the very, very alleyways of dark, dark troubles and trials in their lives. Amen. 
As a matter of fact, I, my wife and I have agreed we have been jaded from that point forward. We are unable to ride down the road and listen to the radio and hear them certain songs come on the radio. And as they begin to sing those songs, it's not just words coming out of a speaker. But but I can hear Sister Magruder and Brother Magruder in our car talking about the, the, the embryonic stage of those songs, where they came from. And oh my. And so we, we don't, we don't understand that sometimes when people are, are ministering to us and they got a smile on their face, it doesn't mean all is well. And so here is Paul, not being, not being hypocritical or not being pretentious or shallow, but Paul had learned to get his arms around the joy of the Lord. That is our strength. Was he happy to be in prison? I don't think he was that demented to say yes. And I don't even feel uh, the pressure to sound spiritual and say yes, that he was happy to be in prison. No. Who would be happy to be chained to a guard day and night? Who would be happy to have such an uncertain future? No one would be happy about that. But the joy of the Lord in these unorthodox, unusual circumstances, he was really able to write a letter to a church and encourage him. And so repeatedly, in only these four chapters that make up the book of Philippians, does Paul mention things like joy and rejoice rejoicing and and gladness. For instance, when he thought of the Philippian believers, it brought joy to his life. Verses Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Every time I think of you, I thank the Lord always in every prayer, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy, with joy. When I read about people that have seemingly cornered the market on this kind of living, that kind of spirit, and that kind of attitude, it almost makes me wonder at times, is this something that I can experience in the 21st century? I think it is. I really think it is. This is not unique to Paul. Paul didn't have his own special dose of the Holy Ghost or his own special walk with God. Amen. What he is describing, I believe, is available to everyone that has been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yet how could Paul, under such adverse circumstances, find this kind of joy? I think there's another word that we find used a lot in the book of Philippians in addition to the word joy, and that is the word mind. The word mind. In other words, a key to joy is found in part in how we think. Now, I don't want you to think I'm going to stray too far off. I'm not trying to advocate, just be an advocate of the power of positive thinking and and just reduce the Word of God down to just a self-help book. That's not at all what I'm trying to do tonight. Amen. I think that, but I do think that we need to understand that Paul is speaking to us about what we allow to go on in our mind. He admonished us, if there's good things, think on those things. If there's something right, put a focus on that. If there's something, if there's something balanced, why don't you underline that, highlight that. Paul obtains joy because he is thinking biblically. Biblically. And uh, I always appreciate when the Word of God can be inserted in the chapters of my life. He shows us how we can live in harmony and, and not, and how we can enjoy life around us and, and others that are around us. And that is important because we live in a very diverse hour and we live in a very diverse culture. And so it's, it's imperative that we understand the value of balance and how to live in harmony with all the differences there are in the world. There are many lines in our world and in our life that can serve to divide us if we allow them to. There's a lot of lines in life. There's racial lines and political lines, social lines, economic lines, and the list could go on and on and on and on and on and on. 
And so if you allow those things to separate us, then it will separate us. But if we allow those things just to be lines that, that, uh, that are just those idiosyncrasies that make all of us who we are, it would be a miserable world if everybody was like one person. Even one person was me. Amen. I'm not throwing rocks at all. But our diversity, the, the, the differences that we have can be a beautiful thing if we don't allow them to become stones. All of these barriers, I think, can be overcome by the blood of the Lamb. I, I, I referred to it already, but just a few days ago, we were at our men's conference, and you're talking about diversity. Churches from all over the, the state of Florida and, and beyond, but just the state of Florida, from Pensacola to Miami, if you just think about the different cultures that you would find within our own state and how uh, some people are very demonstrative in their worship and others are more subdued in their worship. And so if we just, if we tell all those that are subdued, you got to be demonstrative, it's going to be problems. But if you tell all those that are demonstrative, you got to be subdued, there's going to be problems. But if we just learn how to come together, amen, if somebody's worshiping the Lord in a way that's not necessarily the way you worship the Lord, it doesn't make you wrong and them right or vice versa. We, we have diversities among us. And, but the big picture is a beautiful picture to look across that auditorium and just to see all the diversity. Some of them, three, four, and five generations of Pentecost, and some are standing in church maybe for the very first time in their lives. Others are standing there with a look of complete comfort and home in their eyes and their lives. And others are standing around. They have no clue what's going on. The beauty of the kingdom of God. All of these barriers can be overcome, but we have to learn how to look at them and think about them biblically. We can always find someone or something to blame everything on, and that just seems to kind of be the the hour in which we live. If something goes wrong, we're looking for another nail, somebody else's nail to hang it on. Who can we pin this on? Who can we blame this on? Paul says we're going to have to learn how to change our thought process. We can move and we'll discover how we do that as we look through the book of Philippians. The book is written to the saints, of course, who are at Philippi. And Paul is addressing these words to the church. And so I think that's important to understand that Paul is addressing people that are in church, so to speak, to use our language. First, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, he said, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Or in other words, that God will finish what he has started. God will not leave a work unfinished. Notice how again he says he's gonna, he's gonna, he that, he which hath begun a good work will perform it. And so it's not up to me, and now don't, don't, don't check out too soon on this statement, but it's not up to me to finish it, it is up to God to finish it. God has, has started something, and He is going to finish that something. Now I, I understand that all of us play a role in whatever God has called us to do. There's my part, and there's God's part. In my life, the Lord had called me to the ministry. That was the Lord had called me, but I had to respond to that call. So there was the God part and there's the me part. It's possible for me to be resistant to the work that God wants to do in my life. I could have said no. I still can say no. Amen. And so the, I, I have my own, I'm a free moral agent. I have my own self will. And, and I could sadly sabotage my own life. And you have the same power, the same ability. 
I can make bad decisions. I can err in judgment. But if I'm seeking the Lord, if I am sincere in my walk and relationship with God, then I, if I step out of line, I'm going to repent of that and get back in line. I said that often, that the will of God, if you're really walking with God, if you're really praying every day, and I'm not talking about just supposedly praying, or you're really in the Word of God, and I'm not just talking about scrolling through your bread program as fast as you can do it every morning, but I'm talking about living, eating, breathing a relationship with God. If we get out of the will of God, if we err in judgment, the Spirit of God's going to convict us. We're going to turn about. We're going to do the right thing and get back in line. Amen. I could ask for a raise of hands or show and if we were all honest, every hand would go in the air to ask who has ever stepped out of the will of God. Certainly, I think we all fall into that category. But we didn't just camp out there. We didn't buy property there. But we pulled up those tent stakes, had we driven them in the ground, and said, i got to get back where I am supposed to be with the Lord. Amen. I know that there are many times I've had to face the consequences of wrong decisions. And so have you. And so I gotta be careful that I, I don't turn my back on the Lord. I wanna, I don't wanna keep paying consequences. I wanna get back on the right road. Because in doing so, if I, if I continue in the wrong direction, then I'm just gonna make a mess of my life. But the Bible says, he that has begun, begun that, it's a good work. He who has begun a good work in you will, com- will complete that. I believe that God has a plan for our lives. I wholeheartedly believe that. I, I, I'm not suggesting by that statement that it always feels good or that it's always a fun process. It's hard for me to think along these lines and not reflect upon the life of Joseph. God had a plan for his life. There were a lot of details that Joseph knew nothing about. David, God had a plan for David's life. There were a lot of details that David knew nothing about from that moment of being anointed until he reached the throne. But I believe that we can ultimately be confident that whatever God is doing is going to wind up in the good. Jeremiah 29, 11. I take great heart and consolation in this passage of Scripture. I'm just going to read it to you. The Lord said, For I know the thoughts that I think toward thee, saith the Lord. The thoughts of peace and not of evil to give and expect it in. The Lord said, I know how I feel about you. I know how I feel about you when you're not even aware how I feel about you. I know what I think about you when I close my eyes. I believe this is a very intimate and a very passionate passage of Scripture. I know the thoughts that I think toward you. So that's a good thing. Now, this is challenging for us because we don't always understand what's happening. And we like to understand what's happening. We like to know what's going on in our world. Just if you're traveling down the road, the highway, the interstate, and it starts clogging up, isn't it, isn't it tragic to get stuck behind one of those big semis where you can't see around because you want to... It's not going to fix anything, but if you could just see. <laughs> and so that's why people are dodging out into the ditch. That's why people are going from lane to lane. They're trying to get a glimpse because we want to know what's going on in our world. Amen. God has promised that it's a good work. And so I've got to put my trust in that word even when I can't understand. Paul prays three things for the Philippian believers. And those three things I want to underline as we move along here tonight. In Philippians 1 and 9, Paul said, In this I pray that your love may abound. I want to pray that your love will continue to grow. Your love. I believe that if we're living 
with God like we should, then our life is going to be characterized by love. Jesus said in John 13 and 35, here is the indictment of all indictments. By this shall all men know your mind. And that is your love that you show toward one another. So we can't just sit around and wait for a feeling of love. Let me help you with this if I can tonight. You can't wait to feel love. You just have to start doing loving things. Because it's the right thing to do. I'm not trying to be ridiculous in this illustration, but if our musicians just went to their instruments and just held their instruments until they felt like playing, what if they don't feel it at 7.30? We're going to wait till 747 till finally the unction hit somebody. But at 730, we just start playing whether you feel playing or not. Whether you feel it or not. And so you don't just wait for a feeling of love, but you have to start doing love. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 13 is kind of known as the love chapter uh, in, in, uh, in the book of Corinthians. Paul defines love for us, but I think that there's something worth underlining and certainly noting here. Paul doesn't talk about so much what love is, but Paul talks a whole of a lot about what love does. First Corinthians 13 and 4, the Bible says this. Paul uses the word charity here. The word there is love, the same thing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoice not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So what Paul is saying is love is not a feeling, but love is doing. Love is not just found about talking, but it's found in our actions. You can't tell somebody that's hungry to be full. You can't tell somebody that's cold to be warm. You gotta do something about that if you're gonna fix that. And so love is not just talking, but love is doing. So Paul prayed that their love would continue to grow. But he didn't stop there. He also prayed that their knowledge of the word would continue to grow. He said this, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And so he said, I want your love for one another to continue to grow, but I also, the knowledge of the word of God. You, you can't just always be a kindergartner. You can't just get stuck in pre-K. You need to let the knowledge of the Word of God grow in your life. And he said, let more in knowledge and in all judgment. That word judgment there means discernment. Amen. So we need an intelligent discerning that, that, that does the right thing, an understanding that does the right thing. The word that Paul here is using it is that we would discern, be able to tell, be able to sense. It's important because the Bible tells us that one of the signs of the last days, you know, everybody's always looking for signs of the last days. Among those things is false teaching. And so that's why we need to have a discerning spirit. And the only way you're going to be able to discern what's right from wrong is to know what's right. To bathe yourself in what's right. Amen. So we need to know what the Word of God teaches. Ephesians 4 and 14 says that we henceforth be no more children. we got to grow up. Amen. 
Now, parents, you may have worded it differently, but there's probably not a parent in this house that at some point, if you didn't say it, you did think it to your children. You need to grow up. Grow up. And well, they may have been eight when you thought that or said that. They may have been 18 when you thought or said that. They may have been 28 when you said or thought that. But you need to grow up. And that's what Paul is saying. You just can't remain a child. And you can't remain a child in the church either. Brother Mike Williams, I heard Brother Mike Williams many years ago, and I borrowed it from, from him from that moment on, said there are some people that are a mile wide, but they're only an inch deep. And so it's very deceiving. I've used this illustration behind your, your back, Brother Gibson, but I remember the, the time that you and I went fishing in Lake, uh, and uh, where do we used to live there? Alturas, is that what's called Alturas there? And, and a big, beautiful lake. I mean, acres and acres and acres. And so we had, we had talked about fishing in that lake before, and you guys know me, an avid fisherman. <laughs> he was really doing more than talking about fishing, I think. But uh, nevertheless, we went fishing. Whole lake. I remember all the whole way across the whole lake. We could touch the bottom with our with the oar, and it, and it was very deceptive. I mean, it just looked like this. Well, it is an enormous lake as far as acreage is concerned, but there was no depth to it. And so, I don't want to just look the part. I want to have roots that can stand the test of time. When life disappoints, when when things you can't pull the two ends together, when life makes no sense, I want to be able to have the joy of the Lord in my life that holds me secure, that we are not tossed about as children to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Amen. Isn't that the world that we live in today? My Lord, if that doesn't describe the church world of our generation, then nothing else will. But of course, that's not new. It didn't just start and it won't end tomorrow. And that's why we've got to grow up in the Lord. And we've got to understand the value of the truth of God's Word. And so we've got to grow in the Word. Allow His Spirit to give birth to discernment in our lives. The third thing that Paul prays for is this, and that is that we would live lives, or that they would live, and we're applying this to our lives, that we would live a life of integrity. In verse 11, 10 and 11, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. That you, He said that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. The word sincere, I found this interesting, and I'll share this with you tonight. The word sincere is sometimes translated wax. How does that apply? How does that apply? So Paul is prayer, if we were to read it this way, would, would be that you would be without wax. I found that phrase sort of interesting. In ancient Rome, fine pottery was relatively thin, Consequently, oftentimes fragile and would develop cracks after it came out of what we would call a kiln, the modern day kiln or after the fire. So rather than just remake that piece, dishonest shop owners would fill the cracks with wax and then sell it as though it were new. Perfect. And so it looked great until you went to use it. But it wouldn't stand the test of heat. It wouldn't stand the test of fire. Because it was just filled with wax. 
And the least little heat would come along and reveal the weaknesses or the cracks and the defects would show. And so the idea is that we are appearing to be sincere. But Paul says that we should be without offense. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in chapter 10, verse number 32. He said that we would give no offense to the Jew, to the Gentile, or to the church. Now think about this. You know, there, uh, I was raised on preaching, and if I haven't been doing enough of this, then, then I am the one to blame. But I was raised on preaching that, that talked about bringing a reproach against the church. Living in such a way that, you know, we weren't just worried about our own name, and we weren't just worried about our own family, or we weren't just worried about our own, uh, wife or children or extended family, but we were worried about bringing a reproach. I don't want to be a, a reproach to the church. Is that still alright to preach that in 2015? Another way to translate that is to not be a stumbling block to somebody else. He said, don't be an offense to a Jew or a Gentile or to the church. Don't be a stumbling block to anybody else. We need to make sure that we never bring a reproach to the name of Jesus. Amen. Everyone in this building has a scope of influence. Young or old, we all have a scope of influence. You have someone that's watching you. Therefore, we need to have a good testimony. After, after David fell in sin with Bathsheba, the prophet Nathan came to him in 2 Samuel twelve fourteen. He said, How be it because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You put a rock, a sword in the hand of the enemy. David, you loaded the enemy's gun. You gave the enemy an occasion to blaspheme the Lord. And so we have to be very, very careful that in our day-to-day living, I'm not talking about what goes on here at the church from 10 on Sunday till 12.30 or what happens from 7.30 to 9 here on Wednesday. I'm talking about day-to-day, day-to-day. So you go ahead and pitch your fit and you tell that waitress or that waiter just what's on your mind. But somebody besides her is listening. You go ahead and deal with people ever how aggressively or roughly you want to deal with them. But I promise you, somebody's taking notes. If nobody else is listening, the Lord's listening. And if nobody else is taking notes, according to Malachi, the Lord's taking notes. And so we need to be very, very careful that we don't bring an offense to the name of the Lord. And so... We've got to be very careful in that day-to-day living because it, it can start with something as innocent as just turning a blind eye to something. Just We'll just ignore that problem. But there's some things you can't ignore. There's just some things you can't ignore. The next thing you know, we'll just embrace that as normal. And that'll just be a part of our life. Just be a part of who we are. <laughs> And that's not the behavior of a real saint of God. Some things you can wait till tomorrow to fix. But some things you've got to get on that right now. Got to take care of that right now. A few uh, months ago now, we were filling the baptistry one Saturday afternoon, uh, Saturday morning rather, for a baptismal service that was going to take place the next morning and our morning service. My wife and I were leaving town because we had to 
go to a wedding in Tallahassee. And so I came over rather early and started filling the baptistry up. And you have to wait till it gets to a certain level before you can turn on the circulating pump and the heater. So I was waiting for that to happen and got all that taken care of. And, and um, so as we were pulling away, I thought, you know, I'm just going to drive by one more time. And I opened the side door and I heard water running. And uh, an inch and a half pipe back there in the dressing room had broke at the pump. And, the, and it must have happened seconds, if not just a few minutes before I walked in the door. Water flow out already on the platform. And you just can't pull the door shut. And say, you know what, I'll probably get some men together Monday afternoon and we'll fix that. But it was an all points bulletin. All points bulletin. It was just, you got to stop what you're doing. And so we started making phone calls and, and several people came in to help us, uh, to help the situation. We had to, we had to leave. So we got some good people here to, to take care of that. There's some things you can't ignore. And so when hundreds and hundreds of gallons of water is just emptying itself on the platform, you got to do something right then. Right then. I didn't call Justin to ask him, hey man, what you doing? <laughs> you and Sarah busy? I'm not even sure what I said on the phone. All I know is I just said a few words hung up and they came running. I don't know what I said to Brother Kevin or Sister Donna on the phone. I'm, please don't charge me with any of that. I don't know what I said. I just called and people came running. It was not the time for anything, but we got to take care of this. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and if you'd like to stand, you can. If you want to finish the race of life well, and if you want to live joyfully, then we've got to ask for strength every day, every day. You see, Wednesday nights, what we do here, we gather around the Word of God, and we figure out how to do this on a daily basis. How do I live this? I'm not suggesting that we don't do that on Sundays, but... But if we just shout about something, but we never know what we're shouting about, we want to find ourselves stunted in spiritual growth. And so how do you live for God on an even keel? Part of it is letting the joy and understanding the joy of the Lord. I believe that God will complete the work that He has begun in our lives. And so even if we messed up, God is a God of second chances. I'm so thankful of that. He said in his word, if we'll confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so I don't want to go and repeat that again and again and again. And I pray this often. Lord, I want to, if I fall, I want to fall forward. The Bible says that we can fall on that rock and be broken or that rock can fall on us and be crushed. I want to fall on the rock. I want to fall forward. I, I, when I say that, what I mean is that that I want to learn from this. I want to put this in my bag of notes. I want to take something home from this. And I want to learn how to be different tomorrow, different next week, different next month, next year. I've often said that even though we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we can still stray from the will of God. As human beings, we're capable of almost doing anything. Have you ever surprised yourself? Good and bad, Sure. But because we still have a free will and an old nature, we have to live every day with great caution because that is a lethal combination. 
a lethal combination. We have a free will and an old nature. I know I've shared this story and I won't detail it for you since I've shared it so many times in the past, but a great pastor friend of mine who's already gone on to be with the Lord was met one night at, after church called to the church by a man who was unstable mentally, a man who had strapped himself with dynamite and batteries and wire and he came and he stood with two ends of those wires in his hands and it was for real. It was for real. All they had to do was touch that and it would have blown those men into oblivion. That was a lethal combination. And can I tell you today, I want to leave you with that image in your mind. Those two wires. He said, all i got to do is touch this. All i got to do is touch this and it will be over. Do you know that all you have to do is just let your free will and your old nature have its way? I don't care how high you jumped on Sunday. It won't matter how big the puddle of tears were underneath you when you got through praying. If we allow our free will and our old nature, if we allow those things to intersect, that is a dangerous combination. Dangerous. Don't trust your heart. Don't let your conscience be your guide. We've got to let this infallible word be the yea and be the nay. And so I want to underline something. If we are in a real relationship with the Lord, if we get off track, we will come back. And I want to underline the word real. If we're in a real, real relationship. Because you see, the, the reason I want to underline that is because if someone can live in sin and constantly be exposed to preaching about the evil of sin and not be moved in any way, shape, form, or fashion, that's frightening to me. Because we can put on garments of and niceties of Christianity and we can clap on beat and sing every word and we can hit every everything just right. And yet we can be in sin and not move by preaching of, against sin. Never move to a place of repentance. That's a frightening thing. A frightening thing. But if a person can be moved by the Spirit and the Word of God, that signifies hope. It doesn't matter what kind of blunder they've made. Amen. They can weave their way back through the blood of Jesus Christ to an altar, and that blood can cleanse. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. I, I want the joy of the Lord that Nehemiah wrote about to be my strength. Praise God. Would you make an altar where you stand? Can we lift our hands and our voices? Could we magnify the Lord together in this place? In Jesus' name. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.